Afternoon, Chair. It's probably too loud for me, this isn't it? Really? I don't really need that. Okay. Grace versus disgrace. I, bet, I wonder what you're thinking when I mention that title. I'll explain it all in a minute. I have to start with a story though, don't I? Sorry, it's not a Scottish one, you're okay. <laughs> I won't pick on you. You're disappointed. <laughs> well, if I said this story, you might be angry. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. A couple go to a marriage counsellor. She said it was all about respect. He showed her no respect. She said he comes home every day from work smelling of work, he walks past her in the kitchen, he goes to the fridge, he gets a tin of beer out of the fridge, he walks past her, he goes to the lounge, he picks up the TV remote, he sits down and that's him done for the evening. Don't nod your head men, please don't nod your head. (laughs) Then he comes to bed, he doesn't have a shower, still smells of work. He has a shower the following morning when he goes to work. She, he listens to this and he thinks to himself, I think my marriage might be in a little bit of trouble here. So he decides to save his marriage. So next week he went to work, he took a change of clothes with him. After work he showered, he put on the aftershave, the fresh clothes. On the way home he stopped to buy a bouquet of flowers. You know, we've done that, haven't we? When he got home, he stood on the front doorstep. He rang that doorbell. His wife opened the door. She saw him looking good, smelling nice, holding those flowers. And she burst out crying. Bewildered, the man said to his wife, What's wrong? What's the matter? She said, It's been the absolute worst day of my life, she said. The cat got up, stuck up the tree. The fire brigade had to be called. The school rang and said, your son has been excluded. Got a call from your mother. It said she's staying with us for two weeks. (laughs) The washing machine broke. It flooded the kitchen. And she had to top it all off. I answer the door and you've come home drunk. (laughs) You see, once we make up our minds a certain person has lived disgracefully, it's hard to change our opinion about them. One of the amazing things about Jesus was his ability to see people as they could be instead of how they used to be. And aren't you glad that we have a God like that? Aren't you glad that when God looks at us today, he doesn't see all the stuff that we used to do, but he sees what we can be in Christ Jesus. The problem is, we want God to look at us that way but we are slow to look at other people that way. It is a disgrace when we are unwilling to view others as God is willing to view us. So let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke 7. 
This is a story about a man in conflict with Christ. We're going to start from verse 36. Luke 7 verse 36. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and was eating at the table. A woman who lived a sinful life in that city found out that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she took a bottle of perfume and knelt at his feet. She was crying and washed his feet with her tears. Then she dried his feet with her hair, kissed them over and over again, and poured the perfume on them. The Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this and thought, if this man really were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus spoke up, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon replied, teacher, you are free to speak. So Jesus said, two men owned a moneylender some money. One owed him 500 silver coins and the other owed him 50. When they couldn't pay it back, he was kind enough to cancel the debts. Now who do you think will love him the most? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the largest debt cancelled. Jesus said to him, you are right. Then, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman, don't you? I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but ever since I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put any olive oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. That's why I'm telling you that her many sins have been forgiven. Her great love proves that. But whoever receives little forgiveness loves very little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. The other guests thought, who is this man who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We know from reading the other gospel stories about Christ... Jesus spent a lot of time with the downtrodden and the outcasts of society. However, however, there were other times that Jesus actually was with the well-to-do of society as well. Just because Jesus was interested in the rejected of society did not mean he was uninterested in the respected of society. So when a rich, well-respected man like Simon says, I'm having a party in my house, will you come? Jesus said, yeah, I'll come. So Jesus went to Simon's house and dinner was served in the courtyard where anyone could have walked in to hear the wisdom of the rabbi and would have heard Simon. The courtyard would have had many entrance and exit scenes, so anybody could have listened to what was going on, which they would have done. But the amazing thing is, Even though Simon was the host, somebody else gave the hospitality. Into the courtyard walked a woman off the street. I'm not talking about a homeless person. But a woman who earned her living off the street. But she came to Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. We don't know what our individual reputations are with people right now. But this woman was not prepared to let her past or reputation keep her from approaching Jesus. And you know what? We shouldn't either. 
We should never do that. She came to Jesus and it would appear that she was going to anoint his feet with that perfume. But as she got closer and closer and closer, you can imagine perhaps the emotions were building up inside of her. And she broke down. She began to weep. Not just sob, she was crying her heart out. She began to cry so hard. She splattered his feet with her tears and she wanted to clean it off. But she couldn't touch anything in a Pharisee's house because she was classed as an unclean woman. So she took her hair, I don't know whether it was tied up, or she took it or let it go. She took it and she started to wipe off the tears off his feet. Then she got the perfume and she began to pour the perfume on them. But she kept constantly kissing his feet. She kept on crying. Often Jesus would stop somebody who was crying. But he does not stop this woman. It could be that she's weeping because she's repenting. Instead of running towards her sin, she now wants to run away from those sins. And it should be exactly the same with us. We should not be running to them. We should be running away from our sin. See, I think, isn't it amazing? Aren't we glad that Jesus is willingly to publicly admit that he's a friend of sinners? Publicly admit that he's a friend. He's standing up there saying right now. He's saying, do you know what? I'm a friend of sinners. That's what he is. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 and 16 this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I will show mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Jesus wanted to make public his patience. He did that in front of everybody. And he wanted to show people his mercy for sinners. But Simon didn't think this was a display of patience and mercy. Simon thought it was a spectacle of shame and compromise. And he thought to himself, if this man was a prophet, if this man really was a holy man and not just some con artist, he would know exactly what this woman is. She's a sinful woman. Simon's view of righteousness demanded that you keep yourself away from sinners like her. And to Simon, this whole scene that was coming out in front of him now was a disgrace. In fact, Simon's conclusion was that Jesus' offer of grace was disgraceful. He thought it was disgraceful that he would be in the company of a woman like that. He annoyed Jesus over how grace should be extended and Simon is not alone. Not only does he have a lot of company in the Bible, he has a lot more company today. 
People are constantly confused over how grace should be extended to others. Remember in Matthew chapter 20, the story of the vineyard workers. Some worked all day, some only worked a few hours, but they all got paid the same amount. But those who worked all day complained. It's unfair. I've worked all day. He's only done two hours. The owner had been too gracious. And he says to me in verse 15, Can't I do what I want with my own money? Or do you resent my generosity towards others? The owner tells them he can do what he wants with his own money. Or are you envious because I'm so generous? Is that your problem? Some people are annoyed today because Jesus is just too generous with the wrong kind of people. That's exactly how the older brother felt in the parable of the prodigal son. He thought it was disgraceful that his dad was giving grace to his sinful brother who had squandered all the money on booze and women. The older brother was absolutely mad, was he not? He was angry, he was bitter about the grace his father had given his younger brother. It was exactly the same with Jonah. In the Old Testament, Jonah disobeyed God's command to go to Nineveh to get the people to repent because Jonah was afraid that God would forgive these people. It says in Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah accused God of being irresponsible to people who didn't deserve it. He's telling God that grace is too good for some people. And he's telling God that he and his friends are down here to make sure that God doesn't get irresponsible with grace. God's policeman. Just like Jonah, Simon believed that grace was just too good for some people. He thought to himself, Jesus didn't know what kind of woman she was. Well, you know what? Not only did Jesus know what kind of woman she was, he also knew what kind of man Simon was. And every person that disagrees with God, you need to hear this, Every person that disagrees with God about how he dispenses grace, he, not me, has one question for you. And it's written in Jonah chapter 4 verse 4. He said, the Lord asked, what right do you have to be angry? What right do you have to be angry? Do we today have any right to be angry at God? For how God forgives people? No, we don't have any right. That's the question that was being posed to Simon in the parable. Jesus is saying, Simon, two guys were in debt. 
One owned a fortune, the other a small amount. Neither can pay. But they both get the debt cancelled, no matter the size of the debt. And Simon, have you any right, when you get your debt cancelled, to be angry at how the master wants to forgive somebody else's debt? Who are we to say that it's disgraceful the way God dispenses grace when we need it so much ourselves? That's what Jesus was trying to say when he said, Simon, do you see this woman? It's a bit of a stupid question. She was standing right there. How could Simon not see the woman? But there was another way that Simon saw the woman. Simon saw a tramp. Simon saw a sinner. Simon saw a woman that wasn't good enough for the love of God. You see, Jesus was saying, Simon, you think you see this woman, but you don't see this woman. And the reason you do not see this woman is because you still don't clearly see yourself. Remember this. You probably heard it. Nothing so blinds a person as a vision of their own sufficiency. So let's look at how Jesus looks at you. Let's see how Jesus looks at Simon. Let's see how Jesus looks at me. Because in that little parable, we have a clear example, as anywhere else in the Bible, of the gospel according to Jesus. Jesus says four things about the gospel. Number one, according to Jesus, the way Jesus sees it, all men are debtors to God. Jesus does not go soft on sin. He doesn't gloss it over. Jesus admits this woman has committed many sins. That's not the point. The point is... Jesus contends that every single person is in God's debt, regardless of the degree of sin. Everyone is a debtor of God. Okay, my sins might not be as long as yours, and yours might be longer than mine. The temporal consequences of your sin might not be as great as some footballers or some actresses. But the eternal consequences are just as devastating. In fact, answer me a question. How many sins does it take to send someone to hell? One. One. So if you're going to go to hell because of your sins, does it matter if someone else's list is longer or shorter than your list? If you can't pay the debt. Everyone is a debtor before God. So why should we mind here if our church becomes full of sinners? Why should we mind? Because we all have a debt we could not pay. In fact, if we really knew what lives in the heart of the people we sit next to at church, we would probably get up and move. (laughs) The problem is, they've already moved away from you. Everyone is a debtor to God. Is that how we see ourselves? Or is that how we look at others? 
Here's a prayer that we should probably take up, and you've probably heard this as well before. Dear God, so far today I've done all the right. I haven't gossiped. I've lost my temper. I've been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm thankful for that, Lord, but in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'll probably need a little bit of help. <laughs> we've probably prayed that prayer before we've even got out of the bedroom. Everyone, hear me, is a debtor to God. Point two. No one can pay off their debt to God. No one. Most people like Simon think the fact that they are much better than a lot of other people, this will cover their debt to God. Many think that God will measure how they've been and if they've been a lot better than other people so they don't require so much grace. Then they'll be saved. These people think that grace is like a bank loan. How do you get a bank loan? You prove you don't need one. Listen. You just walk into a bank tomorrow and say, I don't have a job, I have no property, I've got no savings, I've got absolutely nothing, will you give me a bank loan? Wait for the answer. You ain't getting a bank loan. You get money from a bank when you prove you don't need any. And people think that's how grace works. You live a good life. You prove to God you didn't need any grace. And he gives you some. No, he doesn't. No, he does not. That's not how it works. There's going to be a lot of people on the day, the debt is due, who did more right things than wrong things, but they're going to wind up in the wrong place. Because on that day, a lot of people will be shocked when they find out that God does not grade according to how many good works they've done. Or their currency, whatever it is. It could be their good deeds, it could be their Bible knowledge, it could be taking care of the sick, it could be their faithfulness to the neighbours, it could be the love of the family. These are not wrong, do not mishear me. They're not wrong. Whatever it is, all that currency is worthless in the sight of God. Don't mishear me. Some might believe they are a lot better than others. I'm a lot better than them. And they're probably right. And perhaps my debt to God is not as big as their debt. However, the point is this church. Jesus says, neither man had the ability to pay. Neither man had the ability. It doesn't matter what size of debt we have individually occurred before the Lord. We've got nothing to pay it off. Nothing. You can do nothing. The way Jesus sees it, it's not God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who are helpless and even haven't even asked for help. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 reads this. Because all people have sinned. They've all fallen short of the glory of God. Not just some, all they receive God's approval freely by an act of his kindness through the price Christ paid to set us free from sin. It's not a matter of attainment, it's a matter of atonement. Which leads to my next point. Number three, forgiveness is based on the character of God. There was nothing about the character of the debtors that merited the forgiveness of their debt. Nothing. 
it was due solely to the nature of the creditor. In other words, God doesn't cancel our debt because we are so good. He cancels our debt because he is. He is. It is solely his nature that makes forgiveness possible. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, all of us once lived among these people and followed the desires of our corrupt nature. We did what our corrupt desires and thoughts wanted us to do. So because of our nature, we deserve God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. We were dead because of our failures. But he made us alive together with Christ. It is God's grace that saved you. There was nothing in us that made salvation possible. It was all in God. You see, salvation is not where God makes up the difference because we just couldn't pay it off. I've got 45 people, it's 50. That's not how he pays, that's how he does it. Salvation is where God pays the debt because we didn't have the currency at all. But God, who is rich in mercy, offered grace. Paul, writing to Titus, says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and 7 this. Indeed, we too were once stupid, disobedient, and misled. We were slaves to make uh, uh, slaves to many kinds of lusts and pleasures. We were mean and jealous. We were hated, and we hated each other. However, when God, our Saviour, made His kindness and love for humanity appear, He saved us, not because of anything we had done to gain His approval. Instead, because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing in which the Holy Spirit gives us new birth and renewal. God poured a generous amount of the Spirit Spirit on us through Christ, our Saviour. As a result, God, by his grace, has given us approval. And we have become heirs who have the confidence that we have everlasting life. Paul is saying forgiveness is rooted totally in the nature of God because that's the sort of God he is. Why does it bother us? Why does it bother us that forgiveness is rooted in the grace principle and not in the merit principle? It bothers us because it doesn't seem fair. We're saying it's not fair, God. I've tried hard. Do you know what? I've tried to be a good steward. I go to church every Sunday. That's not wrong, by the way. I don't do bad things. I've really tried. I've worked this. So it doesn't seem fair that you would extend grace to someone who hasn't made the same effort that I have. Each and every one of us was in total hopeless debt. We had nothing and God forgave it. He's not treating them any different than he's treating us. It's like a man who had his, uh, had his portrait taken. When he, back, when he went back to review the proofs, he complained to the photographer that he didn't do him justice. The photographer told him, he didn't need justice, he needed mercy. <laughs> we don't need fairness. We need need more than fair. 
What we need is so totally out of proportion to what we deserve. We need grace. Number four, grace is received by faith in issues of love. In love. That's our part, we receive it. We say thank you God and we accept it. The only thing we can do is receive the forgiveness. We can't buy it, you can't even buy it with love. This woman was not forgiven because she loved much. You can't earn forgiveness by loving hard. In verse 50, Jesus said, Your faith has saved you. Somewhere in the past, she would have heard Jesus teach. She had heard the good news that God loved sinners. That's what God wants people, that God really wants people to be with him. That's what she heard, that people matter to God. And she believed it. She came to find Jesus because when you really believe God and receive his gift, the response has always been praise and worship and love, always. When God has forgiven you, you praise and worship him. You show love. That's what she was doing. She was pouring them out on Jesus. Look at something else about that parable. The things that she used to seduce men with. She used her hair. She used her lips. And she used her perfume. And now the things that she used to sin, she's giving honour to God. Do you notice that? Have you noticed that? Remember verse 47. That's why I'm telling you that her many sins have been forgiven. Her great love proves that. But whoever receives little forgiveness loves very little. She lavished love on Jesus because of what she received from Jesus. Simon's been counting on the wrong things just perhaps like you and I. He's been counting on how many times he's been going to church. He's been trying to work at it. Work. How much money he'd given in the Sunday collection. How many verses of the Bible I know. All these things are good and they are noble. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. As far as our relationship to Christ is concerned, it doesn't matter whether we are circumcised or not. But what matters is a faith that expresses itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Simon didn't love much because Simon didn't think he needed much. This woman knew she needed a lot. And she received it and her love was overflowing. You know the irony is of this. If Simon and that woman walked into any church today, he would be made an elder and she wouldn't be even able to teach the kids. That's the irony of that. In the eyes of Jesus, which one was the amazing disgrace? Our misunderstanding of how God sees us determines how we see other people. How we think God sees us affects how we see other people. 
Anyone who sees themselves as a good person paying off a small debt will always look down on other people. On the other hand, those who see themselves as debtors in need of grace to be saved, they will be a friend to sinners. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 says this. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Dear friends, if this is the way God loved us, we must also love each other. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, Paul wrote, Be kind to each other, sympathetic, forgiving each other, as God has forgiven you through Christ. It is disgraceful for a Christian not to look at others as we want God to look at us. In Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus said this. As we come to a close. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. When we see an unsaved person... Just remember this, there but for the grace of God go I. Any other view is a disgrace. It is disgraceful. And to close, I would say this. If you would like God to pay off your debt, why not accept his free offer? Confess a faith in Christ. Repent of your sins and be baptised and God will clear the debt. Why would anybody wait? If you are a visitor and you've come with somebody, I asked somebody to, to, to have a Bible study so you, we can tell you about the God that offers grace. Grace. Let us pray. Father God, what an awesome God you are. We've had absolutely nothing. We can't pay nothing off. But by, by your grace you have saved us. Lord God, how thankful we are. We've got no currency, none at all, to pay anything off. But the blood of Christ cancels our debt. As I said, if we confess our faith in you, repent of the sins, be baptised, God will clear the debt. Why would anyone want to wait? Amen.